0: So, welcome to the uh, WordBee podcast. This is Robert Rogie, your temporary host. Today, the guest of our show is Mark Schreiner. And Mike Schreiner worked for the Big Word and Asia Pacific and Global Sources and several other companies. And he has 30 years of experience in the localization industry. He recently joined the WordBee team as the sales director for North America. And what we're going to talk about today is uh, how the translation industry has evolved for enterprises in the last 10 years, more or less, and where we think it's going to go. So welcome to the show,
1: Mark. Hi, Robert. Uh, thanks for, uh, for having me. Um, just want to jump in and clarify something right away. You're making me sound a little bit older than I am. I have about 10-plus years of experience in the localization industry and working in executive positions, for example, with CLS Communication. I was CEO Asia Pacific. I also work with the Big Ward. I've done consulting work with WeLocalize, Gengo, and some other LSPs. And now I'm at WordBee, right?
0: Okay, cool. So I, I'm sorry, I, I really thought that... Uh, okay, you mind. thought I was older than I was. I'm I, I did, actually.
1: Time, man. <laughs> I thought you were older than you were. I Yeah. So what are we going to talk about?
0: Uh, well, we're going to talk about enterprises in the language. Uh, well, enterprises that are, uh, you know, translating their and localizing their content. And we're going to talk about it. We're going to talk about enterprises and uh, language technology, LSPs, and how things have changed over the last ten years, so let's start with language technology. So you have a lot of experience in the industry, and uh what was language technology like uh ten or fifteen years ago compared to today?
1: Okay, well. There were a couple different technologies out there. One, there were translation management systems, um, but most of them were server based. So they would be on premise with a client, um, either in an LSP or in an enterprise situation. So which meant that. In order to adopt the technology, you would have to invest in servers and software licenses. Uh, You would have sometimes lengthy installations and then you'd have to pay for upgrades. And it it was kind of a heavy process and only your largest LSPs or enterprises uh, would invest in that technology. Another alternative is there were a couple LSPs that had their own proprietary tools um, and they would encourage their clients to use those, but some clients would be reluctant to because if I put all of my um, eggs or all my translations in one particular vendor's system, it makes it difficult for me as a, um, as a client to change or to use multiple vendors. So that was 10 years ago. The other technology that was coming online, what's been coming online for a long time is machine translation and about 10 years ago, the quality of the, 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 the output on machine translation oftentimes wasn't where it needed to be in order to, be, to, to really realize an advantage of using machine translation. So um, these days you're seeing uh, a transformation where the technology both for the translation management systems, um, for, for the CAT tools, and then for machine translation have all improved in addition, you see the types of translations that are being required have also changed so that you're seeing more opportunities to use or leverage technology.
0: And uh, the types of translations, uh, you mean when you say that uh, probably like uh, e-commerce type stuff or, or content that's not uh, as uh, valuable per se or...
1: Yeah, maybe I wouldn't put the word valuable on there, but I would just say, you know, some, some translation lends itself to machine translation, for example. So we look at social media, mm-hmm. a lot of companies or a lot of websites, they will translate, you know, user comments or user generated content into multiple languages. And they'll do that for a couple of reasons. One is they'll get the SEO lift for having content in those target languages. So I've got all my comments, all my UGC user-generated content in English, but I want to market in Spain or Mexico. Well, I better take that English content and translate it into Spanish, okay? And then um, now that content becomes searchable and I'll get that SEO lift. In addition to that, um, a lot of that content helps their consumers to make decisions right Mm -hmm. but the quality of that content the translation doesn't have to be exactly perfect and if you go back to the source um, which is the original ugc um, that's being generated a lot of it's less than perfect so when people leave comments in social media sites in english for example it's not perfect grammatically perfect even spelling their spelling errors people are just saying hey you know this was a great experience this is what i like this is what i didn't like and it's more it's more of a conversational tone so therefore the translation doesn't need to be as precise either. It's just as long as people can understand the general intent of the general meeting, then it's good to go. And so you'll see a lot of sites like, you know, these large um, hotel booking engines, uh, travel sites, they will just do machine translation for a large percentage of their content, and then maybe do some mm-hmm. post-editing. So that's a whole new, I guess, type of content that 10 years ago was just starting to come online and now it's ubiquitous. It's everywhere. And if you don't translate it as a, an online business, if you don't translate that, then you're missing those opportunities in those other, uh, those other language markets. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. I might add that a lot of that content sort of has an expiry date too. So like a a lot of those, you get those benefits. And then if, if it's a particularly timely product, or whatever it is you're trying to position on SEO or whatever, sometimes that stuff expires too, and I think that's another reason why they like to keep the costs low, because you know they maybe they translate that thing and then they get a boost from it, and then they move on to the next thing and they have to do it again.
1: <laughs> it, it, also, exactly, exactly, yeah. and, and there's and there's nothing faster. There's no way faster to have your content translated than using machine translation. Now, I'm not saying you using sh- machine translation across all different type, content types, but for in the, in the case of UGC, for example, absolutely, okay? Uh, you get it translated instantly at a very low cost. And what you'll see some companies doing is they'll say, well, We notice that these products are getting a lot more traffic, or these um, these particular comments are getting a lot more notice than than you know ninety percent of the other comments or products, et cetera. And so then they'll have the the human editor, the post editor, go in and you know brush up that content. And that can be even for for product profiles where it's not even user generated content. Let's just say you know I've got a thousand SKUs or a thousand products in my in my catalog. I want to put it all online, and I want to put it. Into 13 different languages. Well, you know, if 70% of those products are really, you know, not very popular or not being sold very often, I don't need the human translation. I just need the general translation or the, the, the machine translation. But for the most popular products, if that's the case, if you have, for example, 10% of your products are the, are the ones that are getting 90% of the, the attention, mm-hmm. then those are the ones that you probably want to use the, the, the human translation or machine post-editing.
0: So for those kinds of projects, do you find it often that uh, the companies are really aware, like hyper aware of translation at the moment when they author the content? And are they trying to author the content in such a way that it's going to be easy to translate or there will be less of it? Or like, uh, what, what do you notice in terms of authorship for that kind of stuff?
1: That's a great question. And that's a question that every company should be asking itself. Mm -hmm. And what you have is basically is you have uh, two types of companies or two types of organizations. One that does exactly what you're saying is they say, Hey, you know what? This content, this source content is going to be end up translated into being translated into, you know, X number of languages. So therefore we should author it in a way that lends itself to consistent and precise and easy translations, right? Other companies will just say, Hey, you know, we, we want this content created and they'll hire a a great content writer who will write, you know, sometimes, oftentimes beautiful content or very, you know, the appropriate type of content. But then when the product, when the, when the content goes for translation, then they'll have some extra work to do because the content wasn't prepared in a way that will lend itself to kind of smooth, easy, consistent translations. Um, and so the companies that are, I would call, you know, I, I, to, to, for lack of a better word to say, um, enlightened, they will go in and they'll have authoring tools, mm-hmm. um, which will have built in requirements and controls for sentence length, preferred vocabulary, for example. Mm-hmm. Paragraph graph structure, etc. And because they'll know that when we take this content and we want to translate it into uh, German, for example, from English to German, the German is going to take up more space. And so if we take up too much space with English, then the German is going to be really lengthy. So let's let's shorten it. Let's make it more precise and make it easier to be get into those other target languages as an example. And there's many more examples I could give, but that's, uh, that's, that's one.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, it, it's super interesting. And, and it, it certainly makes a lot of sense that they should try to be forward thinking about their projects. So back to then the the subject of the, the TMSs, the Translation Management Systems, we said that they were server-based, that they were on-premise, that you had licenses. One question I have is, did they work very well back then? Like, were they reliable? Or, or have, have things uh, changed a lot where you know you use your system and you don't have to worry about it
1: well i I can say like all technologies they have evolved and the you know the the first products that came out um you know even 15 20 years ago Mm -hmm. um served a purpose and they and they did help create efficiencies um, when they were appropriately implemented but they were like i said very expensive and they required uh, upgrades with hard, hardware and every year you have to pay for software upgrades you have to pay for training so they were there was a barrier of entry in terms of the cost um, also, in terms of the, uh, the training required, and then the product um, had to evolve. And so a lot of the functionality that's available today just wasn't available then. Right. Furthermore, if you, if you wanted to integrate, so for example, let's, let's imagine you have a, a translation management system. And let's even imagine that it does everything that you need it to do. A lot of companies these days want to take that system and integrate it with their content management or their document management system so that, you know, when they update a page on their WordPress or Drupal site and they update the English page, then all the other language corresponding pages for the other languages are automatically sent out for translation and then posted back into their CMS. So it goes from the CMS over to the translation management system, goes out for translation, it comes back through their various steps of quality control, et cetera. And then it's uploaded back into the CMS. And then the, you know, the site master or the the marketing manager or whoever has final, or it could be even the in-country reviewer can view it and then click upload. And then that that site goes live, or excuse me, that page goes live. So those types of kind of integrations were not available back then. Now, to back up a little bit farther, now that we have software-as-a-service or SaaS-based TMSs, it's much easier in terms of your initial investment. You can you can just get, uh, you know, whether you have a two or three project managers and a few translators up to, uh, it's, easy, it's very easy to get started in that situation. But then if you want to scale it to, you know, infinity, basically you can do that and you pay as you go. So it's not like, okay, we have to buy this server for X amount of dollars and this license, you don't have any of that investment. You just pay for what you need. And, and as you grow or as your business grows, you can scale. Additionally, software upgrades, every year the, the upgr- upgrades are, mm-hmm. are included with the, uh, the, the subscription model. Right. So there's a there's a lot of advantages, and then you know I could go on and on. Yeah. Every, every single component of a translation management system, whether that's the you know the project management tools, the vendor management tools, the you know invoicing, the CAT tools, so the the translation dashboard that the that the translator uses, business analytics. All those elements are constantly being improved and evolved. So, if you looked at a system ten years ago and you compared it to what's available today, I mean, it's it's the 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 technology um, has has evolved massively.
0: Yeah. Well, uh, ten years ago, it's hard to make a website. <laughs> also, like uh, I remember working exactly. on websites 10 years ago and uh, for the listeners out there, we're, we're doing a, a new website uh, for WordBee. And uh, I mean, it's it's so much easier now than it used to be. It's crazy. I mean, 10 so years ago,
1: you, were, were, you, were you doing the coding, you know, just doing HTML yourself um, and, and now you're probably using some kind of CMS or... or yeah, yeah. I mean, 10 yeah. years
0: ago, I would have been... Well, yeah, 10 years ago, I think that the, the first web page that we did was, yeah, it was just straight up uh, HTML. I think that uh, it was made with Dreamweaver.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I've never done that. Yeah, yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah. That's how it was going. So, but yeah, as things get easier, it, things start to move faster, right? But, so then, then you need these systems that, that's you know going to enable your
1: speed. And, and, I, and, that, and that comes back to the the companies that are really again, I, I wish I had a better word, but uh, I could, maybe progressive is better than enlighten, enlightened. But uh, <laughs> the companies that are out there really who get it. They are adopting technology to help them become much more efficient with their translation or their localization efforts. And that that's, includes enterprise clients and that also includes LSPs. There are LSPs in the market, there are enterprise clients in the market who think that the that you know they look at translation as purely a cost and what they want to do is they want to beat that cost down so they will go to their vendors or their suppliers and say hey we need lower rates Uh, they will go to their clients and negotiate their way to a perceived efficiency or some kind of perceived financial gain but the reality is is you know you can only push rates down so far Uh, you know you, you can only you can only cut your project managers wages so much if you really want, in in order to lower costs, Mm -hmm. but if you want to increase profit margins, if you want to increase turnaround times, if you want to improve quality, you can do that by a relatively small investment in technology. And I think what happened is, is, you know, when the technology came out 10 years ago, it was prohibitively expensive, and the benefits weren't as easily uh, as uh, to realize. And um, and now a lot of companies are jumping and they're saying, wow, you know, for, for, for a relatively small investment, we can, we can massively uh, in, improve our quality. We can take a lot of stress off our project managers. We can get these translations... Faster and at the end result at a, at a lower cost by just mm-hmm. you know a small investment in technology.
0: Yeah, yeah, without necessarily depressing the the translation rates any further. You know, there's an interesting side effect of this, and I've spoken to many translators about it. And so this would be like the the translator side of it is that uh, with the, with the increased uh, amount of automation, there's a little bit less human touch. For some translators, because you know they'll receive a, an automated message about the job assignment, and you know when they when they write it, their message back again, and when they complete a job, uh, they don't always really interact with the person. Sometimes, and wh- I was just wondering, what what do you think about that?
1: I, I think that's important observation. I know you know having worked in the industry for a while that um, the relationships are really important and i have you know i when i was working on the lsp side i did have my my favorite translators my go to people for for a variety of languages and, right. and a variety of text top types and in order to make sure that those people would be willing to take our work um i you know i i would have to i, I would I wouldn't say have to, but I would um, maintain a, a relationship with them, which would mean you know I'd get on the phone with them once in a while, or if you know have a cup of coffee once in a while, and that's not always feasible. But you know, even a short note saying, "Hey, thanks for uh, for that great job." Um, the client really liked it, or liked it, made it happy. You know, things like that are important, and people appreciate that. I found that most translators are just really nice people and they and they look at their work as kind of an art form you know mm-hmm. they, they they take pride in their work and they like to be acknowledged and nobody likes to be treated as a commodity nobody likes to say hey you're part of this kind of uh, kind of a faceless pool and 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 not interact with somebody so anytime that you can um, acknowledge somebody's work and and maintain that relationship i think it's going to benefit you as an lsp or as an enterprise client because those, those those quality translators will be make themselves more available to you. And I think that's another important part of the equation.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But technology doesn't necessarily preclude having those relationships. I think technology can facilitate those relationships. I mean, you and yeah, I are yeah, on, off sides, yeah, we're on off the opposite sides of the planet right now. But mm-hmm. we're using technology to communicate. And before we got on this podcast, I mean, you and I had a half-hour conversation about a b- bunch of random topics. And I think everybody can use that. I mean, we couldn't do this... Well, maybe 15 years ago, 20 years ago, impossible, right? Because the cost would be just crazy.
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, even 10 years ago, uh, in my, my first business, I mean, we were working with people all over the world. And uh, the Skype calls were failing, you know, you, you couldn't share your screen with people, it would be too slow. Uh, like, it was, exactly. it was a totally different world. But yeah, I do think that, you know, with the rise of uh, sort of translation automation, there might be a, a similar rise in sort of reaching out to the, the people that are working. You know, like especially for larger companies, but it, not necessarily one-on-one with go-to people, but also like more like webinar events or online meetings or uh, even online parties. You know, like this this kind of stuff is becoming more and more important.
1: Uh, what it, what's an I, okay? Now I'm feeling a little bit old. What 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 is an online party?
0: Well, you know, like imagine that you have uh, like in the case of translations, it's uh, distributed teams like all the time, mm-hmm. but really any distributed team. And, you know, like if you were working in an office together once in a while, you have an office party or you go out for drinks and it's really, you know, satisfying to hang out with your colleagues that you've been working with for so long and have some drinks. But if you're distributed, you never get that right and if you're distributed and you're in a lot of, I think, human machine interaction sort of situations, it could be really frustrating. So an online party is like where you get together and you have like you do online activities together. Now, I don't mean mm-hmm. like World of Warcraft, but like, <laughs> <laughs> like but, you know, like, uh, like, what would you call that? You know, like uh, activities that you can do on Skype. Like games that you could play, or things that you could say, or taking turns uh, talking I about. What,
1: you know, I just said I just had an idea. You know what I mean? Because I was thinking like drinking games and stuff like that. But I, but you know what I think would be cool yeah, is I that think. an online party where you had like karaoke competitions, and you could have th- you know different teams and people from around the world doing karaoke, and everybody else could listen. You know, and then you could try to one up that. Yeah, and, you know that'd be cool. That's such a great
0: idea. <laughs> that's a really <laughs> great idea. You know, so I, I think that it's
1: that's... my idea, man. It's my idea. Don't don't be you know. I don't. I, if I see you launching a site next week. I'm going to be uh, coming right. after you, know. <laughs> Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. For all the listeners out there, that's Mark's idea. All so right. uh, <laughs> it's copyright. It, yeah.
1: Well, you heard it here. Yeah
0: yeah. yeah, yeah. It's a great idea. I think that's the future for a lot of stuff is like, uh, because, uh, you know, for uh, most of our work interactions end up being like human machine, then the human-human time, we're just going to have to make it up. But, uh, exactly.
1: well, right. let, me, let me jump back to something for a second, yeah. because I, I, I see something in an industry that's really, I mean, I, I love this industry. I, I love it for a variety of reasons. One, it's international and you meet people from all around the world. And the people you meet in this industry tend to be people who like languages. They like to travel. They have kind of this global mindset and it's 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 really a great industry and a lot of really nice people a lot of people in the industry in the translation and project management roles they're not really driven by you know the dollar for example they 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 just they want to work in, in this environment and they like their work and they want they want to be recognized for what they do and, and so you've got these great people and they're not all uh, what I would say what's the right word they're not all hardcore business people in terms of they're not their their ultimate aim isn't just the dollar their their aim is they want to you know do, feel good about the work they're doing and and earn a, a, you know an appropriate amount of money mm-hmm. well in this industry because it there is this commodity element to it where um clients, um, oftentimes, they'll base their decision based on on price, right? And so you'll have enterprise clients or LSPs that are always looking to lower prices because there's that commodity element, which is really unfortunate because what happens then is everybody says, well, it's a commodity, we have to lower our prices in order to compete. And so then you've got translators where you're pushing them down and you're saying we have to pay you less and less, right? Which doesn't make them happy and it also makes them feel a little bit underappreciated, okay? And the other thing that you have is you have these project managers. Now, the project managers, in my opinion, that's the toughest job in the industry because you have to deal with clients, you have to deal with the translators, you have to deal with salespeople, you have to deal with um, you know, executives, and you're in the middle. And you have mm-hmm. to be good at communicating. You have to be good at uh, at negotiating, et cetera. And project managers are under that tremendous amount of pressure, but they're also under wage pressure as well. Okay, mm-hmm. and it's it's I've seen it in multiple organizations where people feel like they're getting beat up. And in fact, you know, you could do you can go online to sites like um, uh, what's it the the, the Glassdoor.com, and you can look at the different translation and LSP companies, and you can look at their ratings, and you can see generally, and you can look at the feedback. Or you can just go to industry events and talk to people, you will see that there's a massive turnover in all most of these organizations at the project management level because people are feeling squeezed. Now, so you've got this pressure of, you know, you we're gonna cut costs, it's all about cutting costs. Um, you've got to do more with less as a project manager. And 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 that's putting pressure on. And then you've got so you've got to do more as a a project manager. you're not getting the tools. Now I'll give you an example. This is kind of a long little rant here, but No, no, it's uh, good. It's good. I was working with a with a I would say a relatively large LSP. We're talking hundreds of millions of dollars a year, hundreds of millions of dollars a year in revenues, okay? Mm-hmm. Their project managers, when they wanted to select a vendor for a job, they couldn't do it from a project management. Platform or from a translation management system, what they would have to do it was they set up a project in their platform, and then they would have to go outside to an Excel sheet and sort by language type, by price, etc., and then get a list of names, and then copy those names, and then send emails to those people to see if they were available. What year That's is this now? Yeah. So that was, uh, this is very recently and they're still doing that. Right. And so there's yeah. a lot of organizations in that situation. Project managers would take, it would, it, would, it was so frustrating. They would, t- they would say, Mark, you know, I spend so much time just trying to contact these vendors, trying to find the, the names and the right prices and then seeing if they're available. And I can't see any you know history of what they've done for us and how they're ranked and et cetera. Right now, imagine if you had a translation management system or as a project manager, Mm -hmm. You can type in, uh, you enter your source language, your target languages, Mm -hmm. your text type, and your price, your target price or your target margin. And instantly you get a pool of, let's say, 10 for each language. And then you send out one message to all of them and they can, whoever picks up the job first can go. Now as a project manager, my life has become a lot easier. Okay. So before you're pushing me and telling me as a project manager, Mark, we have to cut costs. We have to do more for less, but you're not giving me the tools to do that. Mm. And I, and, and and what happens? I feel squeezed and I leave. And that's why you have the turnover. Whereas other organizations are using these tools and the project managers become much more efficient And they feel better about the work they're doing, you know, they're they're, they're doing higher end work.
0: Right. Uh, You know, it's surprising that a company uh, that would be using that sort of technique, which is decidedly old school, right? It would be, it's surprising that they can even stay competitive because there are people who are taking advantage of some of the new technologies. And yeah, I mean, how, how, how do they stay competitive if they're working like that?
1: Well, that's, that's the challenge, right? And so, right. I mean, you, you can see the, the in our industry, um, I mean, you can look at the companies who are public and you can see from some of the private companies that profit margins aren't all that great in this industry, right? And the, the companies that are doing well are the ones that have figured out ways not just to squeeze translators or project managers, um, squeeze more out of them. And they're they're the, they're the companies that have set up processes and adopted the appropriate technology to create much greater efficiencies, and that's that's the way to go. I mean, if you look at American industry, you know, we went through our boom times after World War II. Um, we got really you know happy and full of ourselves, and then we started to get a little bit sloppy, right? And and you know, the steel industry, the textile industry, was couldn't couldn't compete anymore on a global scale. And then what you what you've seen in the last you know 15 years is finally the American industries like like steel, like textiles did invest in technology, and now have become, in, in some areas, hyper-competitive. And it's that adoption of technology, right? And it's not it's not a one-size-fits-all, and, and it's going to work everywhere. But definitely in our industry, in the translation or localization industry, the companies that are doing the best are the ones that have figured out the right processes and, and, and have invested in the appropriate technology.
0: So what's the friction between companies that are doing things the same way that they always done them and changing to some new system? Like why you would think that they would just adopt these systems right now, but they're obviously not doing that. So what's, what do you think is the reason why some companies really in any industry, not just ours, are reluctant to change things um, when it comes to new technologies?
1: I would say it's a lack of belief or vision in the potential roi and part of that stems from the fact that you know oftentimes if we go to the enterprise side um, you will have a contingent of executives who view translation as a cost it's purely a cost as opposed to an investment and Mm -hmm. a very simple example of that is uh we translate our ugc it's expensive well, that's the cost viewpoint. But I right. look at it and say, well, if we translate that UGC and it allows us to get that SEO lift and, and more uh, more conversions and more paid clients sell more products, etc., then the translation is actually an investment, right? Mm-hmm. And it should be pretty clear to map that or test it, right? Yeah. So,
0: it's a tool, you know. It's a tool that l- lets you get into another market, right? I mean, right. It, it's not so, a hurdle. It's a, it's a tool,
1: Absolutely. So, if translation is viewed as investment, then that changes the kind of mindset. And if we if we're going to invest in this, then why don't we invest in some tools or technology or processes around this to make it even better quality, you know, cost less, uh, quicker, quicker turnaround times, etc. So it's this kind of it's just basically a mindset. And I've seen, for example, now that was on the enterprise side, on the on the on the LSP side. What I've seen is a couple scenarios. Um, A lot of LSPs start small and they they grow their way up. And when you start small, you know, if you're you know, a two person shop 10 years ago and now you're a hundred people, you've kind of grown and you've b- had these patchwork of internal systems that you've used. And you might not have somebody on your team who's worked in a larger organization, because a lot of these organizations, they, they, they grow organically, right? Um, and they might acquire another small um, uh, operation and, and build through acquisition but they don't have exposure to successful scenarios or they haven't seen these you know, different types of technology being used. And, and, and so it becomes, it's like, a, it's just creating an awareness. And what we are seeing these days, both on the enterprise side and with the LSPs, is that the, the, the tables are turning. It started a few years ago, but it's kind of accelerating now where people are becoming much more aware. They're becoming much more aware plus, they realize they just can't handle the volumes of translation that that are required right now, at you know, in the time that they're needed, at the quality level that's required. Right. So they need to adapt to technology, and so the, you know, the, things are progressing, and the the rate of of, of progress is accelerating. But mm-hmm. um, there's still a ways to go.
0: I wonder how much of it has to do with uh, when it comes to North American companies, uh, has to do with the the dollar when the dollar fell. And companies were encouraged to to export more. Um, I wonder if, if if that has to do with this sort of uh, of awakening that you're talking about regarding um, you know translation processes that, in their companies.
1: That that could be that could be part of it. Definitely, um, I think you know the the awareness for technology is at different places in different regions around the world. Um, mm-hmm. I, I see, uh, you know, Europeans uh, tend to be, I would uh, tend to be maybe a bit ahead of the curve in terms of, you know, the use of cat tools and machine translation. Um, America, I, I also think is, you know, in terms of the sheer volumes that we have, the, that we translate um, and the tools that we use tend to be um, a, a bit ahead of the curve compared to places like Asia right now or other places around the world where even you know, I mean, when I when I was in uh, traveling around Asia a few years ago, most translators wouldn't use a translation memory or a CAT tool. They just preferred mm-hmm. to translate into to directly into a Word doc or some type of other document and send it back. So a big challenge for us as at the time I was with an LSP was you know we'd have clients that would insist that we use um, translation memory and, and just finding translators that would use TMs. Now that's that's changed now where the you know the the uh, momentum is gaining even in. Asia, whether it's in China or Southeast Asia, where more and more translators um, are, are using or willing to use uh, translation memory.
0: Right. Well, especially in systems where the memory is uh, in the cloud and centralized, right? Because then, you know, whether they use the memory or not, if they're translating in your system, the memory is is there, right?
1: So it, absolutely. That- absolutely. Absolutely. And and that you know and I, to be fair to those translators, I'm, part of the issue of for early adoption was it used to be you know they would get a notice saying hey we want you to use um, Trados for example, and then they would have to go out and buy a freelance version of Trados. Mm-hmm. It would cost mm-hmm. them you know x number of dollars a year, mm-hmm. and they're like, well, why should I do that? I only do a small bit of my work um, with clients that need that. Now you see more and more clients require you to use some kind of CAT tool. At the same time, you're seeing that there are more free versions out there. So, for example, with Wordbe Translator, our, you know, anybody who uses WordBeat Translator, any enterprise or LSP, they can send a document for translation. And the freelancer is not required to invest in a freelance license, for example. Yeah. They can go ahead and translate on a platform, and um, they, they haven't had to invest. In fact, they will like to translate on the platform because they, they can do their translations typically in a more efficient manner. And so they can do more... Uh, More words in less time, and if they're getting paid by the word, that's a win-win for everybody, right? Because they're doing more for uh, in less time, so it saves them time, makes helps them make a little bit more money.
0: Yeah, for sure. And buying Tratos is, uh, when you think about it, is also pretty crazy, you know, to have a company say, oh, if you want to work with us, you've got to spend 500 bucks on this piece of software. In a way, it's almost brutal.
1: Uh, <laughs> um, um, yeah. And and I don't want to beat up on SDL or Tratos. No, because
0: um, that's the way that it was. I mean, that was, uh, that was you know, it was natural that things were that way. I mean, the software, like you said, it was uh, license based it, it was Before SaaS products came out, it was before everything moved into the cloud. So it it makes sense that it was that way, but still
1: not so cool. Exactly. And so and there were other issues, whether it was Trados or other CAT tool providers that, you know, they would you'd have to pay for it. And then there would be really limited support. Um, you know, I, we would, when I was at CLS, we would, to encourage our translators in Asia to use um, CAT tools, we would, uh, we would actually Invest, we'd say, even if you did X volume of translation with us, we'll pay for your freelance version. Um, But then, even then, they would have to come to us for support because the the providers at that time were not providing the support to freelancers. So, um, if I were an LSP or uh, an enterprise that was doing large volumes of translation, um, I would take, you know, several things into consideration, but one of the things I would take into consideration was how easy is it for translators to use this system and how willing, will it, willing they be to use this system. In the case of WordMe Translator, I mean, we've seen it, that it's just, it, it's almost seamless. People, you know, our trans, translators around the world log in. It's a very powerful, easy to use tool and it doesn't cost them anything. And so that's not a barrier at all.
0: Yeah. uh, You know, it's funny because I've, uh, you know, had my own translators working in WordBee and uh, the, the, for me, the best thing was uh, being able to uh, assign a job to someone, send them out a short email about how to use it and not have to worry about training them how to use the the system because it's so obvious, uh, you know, every now and again, maybe you get a question about something specific, but more or less a translator can come
1: in and just start rolling on it. It's it's incredibly intuitive and yeah. one, of the, one of the other things that it allows um, it allows for collaboration. So you can have multiple translators working on a single document. They can share information. Uh, they can ask questions back to the project manager. The project manager can uh, you know share information with everybody who's working on the project, um, which really both it accelerates the the speed that the, uh, document is translated, uh, being translated in, but it also improves quality because, you know, I might not know the exact translation here, but if I can query the other translations, uh, translators who are working on this uh, project right. and get feedback from them, boom, I've just become, uh, then that'll help me do a better job. So if you're, if you are looking for, again, if you're looking at a translation management system, you want to look at all the different modules that are important to you. But always the CAT tool is going to be an important thing. And part of the CAT tool is, you know, is it easy for, to use for translators? Is it free for the translators? And does it, does it support and allow for uh, collaboration? Because that's, that's huge.
0: Right, right. So let's kind of segue then. I think it's a good moment to segue. So we just hit on collaboration, right? So what do you think is the future of translation management systems? Like, uh, is it going to be more collaborative? Is it just going to be more of everything it is now? Like more integrated, more automatic, more collaborative, more easy? Or are are there any things in particular that, that you see uh, like... Say for the next five years of of TMS's.
1: Well, I'll give you my opinion, but really, who you should talk to is um, our, our CTO, um, Steve Stefan, on this because yeah, I mean, yeah. he, 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 this guy, he, I, he's probably easily one of the most knowledgeable people in the industry about. Yeah. To, um, our technology and where and, and, and what's what's on the road in that but what, what I, see but I I think
0: that uh, being on the podcast is like the last thing that Stefan wants to do right now so like the- yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> all right so, so you're stuck with me okay so yeah. so what I would say based upon my experiences um, and, and what I see in the market is uh, you definitely you're gonna see more on the collaboration front you might even see situations where um, I'm translating and you're translating line by line and we're just kind of going through a document in fact there's some technology technology out on the market right now that that, that supports that, Uh, but it needs to be integrated into a complete translation management system. You're going to see collaboration, you're going to see more integrations with, again, the ability to integrate with the CMS, uh, document management system, other uh, content management systems out there, so that there's just a more seamless flow of content into the TMS, being translated, and then back into the CMS or DMS, et cetera. Mm -hmm. You will see probably improved both quality and applications for machine translation. So, you know, you have, you have uh, workflows right now where a document comes in, it'll run through the, uh, the through the translation memory mm-hmm. and any 100% matches will be translated and maybe any fuzzy matches up to say maybe 80% will be put, shown as a fuzzy match. And then whatever's left over will go sent out, be sent out through machine translation, right? And so then the translator's role is basically just to check the TM, 100% match, the 80% match, and then maybe do a little post-editing on whatever went through the MT. So I think you're going to see more of 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 those types of applications as well.
0: Right. You know, one thing that I wonder in terms of collaboration, if we're going to see more uh, chat like chat-based communications, because, you know, like Slack is a really big deal uh, in other industries, like developers are all on Slack and anybody working on any sort of project uh, there, everyone just seems to be on Slack. And uh, the communications uh, between translators and PMs and amongst each other, is, it's not so chat-based today. And uh, uh, do, do you think that that, that there's going to be more chat
1: Absolutely. I mean, I I use it all the time. I, I used to be a phone guy and I still am at certain times. Uh, but sometimes chat, oftentimes chat is just so much more efficient. Uh, you know, efficient and it's, it's less intrusive to the person who you're chatting with. If you, for example, you have a query, and I call you, you've got to pick up the phone and, um, you know, Hey Robert, how are you? Hey Mark, fine. How's it going with you? All good. Dah, dah, dah. And, and which is nice. Right. But I don't mm-hmm. want to do that with you three or four times a day. Right. Um, I just want to know, Hey Robert, how should I translate, um, inexplicable into Spanish? Okay. And you yeah. can just boom. Here's here's the word, you know, or whatever yeah. the question is. All right, can you confirm this deadline? And it's the answer's there. It's in. It's it's been recorded. I can refer back to it. Um, whereas a phone call, I have to take notes. I might forget what you said. I might have to call you again. Yeah. And even e- even email. Email is kind of like long form chat. You know, you, yeah. emails you have to have a greeting, and it's depending on where you're at. I mean, when I deal with Europeans, it's a you know, dear Robert, um, I hope you are well, and then my message. Right. If it's in, in the states, we tend to be a little bit more more um short and to the point right uh, but in, like in japan you would never do that you know in japan you'd want to say uh, dear suzuki-san i hope you've been well um thank you for the last message and then get to your point and all that takes time right and yeah. that's okay but again we come back to the scenario where in our industry we're always being pressured for you know cut cost reduced time etc and chat is a is a really important tool to that
0: right how are some uh companies deploying chat like right now like uh i mean because when you think about it it could be pretty tricky because you're you know in translations you're usually working with different people at different times on different projects and and some of these projects are pretty short right so so
1: so just to clarify when when you say chat we're talking texting right text messages
0: yeah well uh, um you know it could be slack could be skype it uh, yeah. could be, uh, you know, IRC could be because a yeah. lot of systems, it's like you get the automated uh, message uh, or even a message from your project manager or vice versa. Uh, it arrives to your email, it's centralized, but it's going through the system and to your email. In notification right and and it's not chatty it's not instant it's not like uh oh hey project manager i have a question about this it's more like hello mr project Manager. you know it's it's like it's like it's like long form even though it's taken place within an application it's generally long form at least the ones that i know and it's not really chatty you know it's not like a chat room for your project
1: yeah. Well, uh, I, 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 what I see is, is uh, you know, there's, there's obviously one to one, and then there's one to many, and there's group chats, and, and depending on the the project and the application, there, a variety of them are being used. Right. Um, I think um, I think that's it's it's just a really powerful tool. Yeah. Another thing that I mean that that's um, I, I think you're going to see and being used more is is voice recognition i've been involved with trials of uh you know voice recognition exactly in fact Mm -hmm. dragon was the technology that we used for a very comprehensive trial across multiple languages uh, in multiple continents and in all scenarios we realized anywhere from 15 to 40 percent efficiency gains because you know there's a learning curve in terms of both the software learning your your voice and then you learning how to use the tool which was usually just uh, anywhere from a few days to a week and then we saw this massive you know uh, productivity gain because people you know look how fast we're talking and if we're trying to talk as quick or excuse me type as quickly as we're uh, talking at least for me, it would be a massive challenge, right? Yeah. Um, so, you know, the, the it's easier for us to talk. Um, it's, it, it, we, we, we think in a way that lends itself probably more to um, verbalizing mm-hmm. our, our, our thoughts versus typing. The, the the One of the challenges, though, is if you have a group of in-house translators, if everybody's talking, then you've got, you know, background noise and issues like that, right? And it can be kind of distracting. But yeah, yeah, you quick. need the
0: right microphones for... That, that that would be the important thing in that scenario is to have the dynamic microphones um, that are, you know, focusing the sound.
1: Absolutely. And and so when you start to integrate, you know, tools like that into a translation management system or a CAT tool that helps the, the translators become more efficient. Yeah. Um, and then they, and then, and then again, if they're getting paid by the word, they're happy because you're giving them a tool that mm-hmm. is helping them to translate more, um, in a shorter amount of time and, and probably better quality and so they're like wow I'm I, thank yeah. You.
0: <laughs> yeah yeah I I've, I've heard that there are some translators that do as much as like 6000 uh, to 8000 words per day uh, wow. when they when they use uh, voice recognition you know whereas the the normal would be like half that or even less. So, yeah, no, I think voice recognition is a huge thing. It's worth noting that, uh, you know, for the listeners out there, that WordBee uh, just launched uh, voice recognition, right? So um, the translators can use voice recognition. Um, it's a new feature. I actually don't know so much about it.
1: No, but it's, um, as a translator, it's very powerful. And we're not, it, it, it's not required that you use it. It's just there for you. Um, yeah. yeah if you want. And it, it will help you make more money.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think voice recognition is going to be the new big thing. Um, You know, it's also important for stuff like this uh, because, you know, there is actually a lot of voice content that uh, at some point you might want to translate, whether it's subtitles or anything else. Um, Also, just uh, creating transcripts of stuff, you know, but that's, that's sort of not really our wheelhouse here but <laughs> it's worth noting that uh, i would really love to um create an automatic transcript of this conversation because then we could publish it as a blog post together with the uh, with the podcast um but we don't have that's it hooked a,
1: that's, up. that's a great idea actually what i love is um is when people leave me a voicemail yeah. and i don't have to, and then and then it, comes, it goes straight to text because right. If I have to listen to the voicemail again, it's me listening and it, it, it tends to go slower. But if I can just read the text, boom, it's it's done. right. You know, it's, it's so cool. it's quite nice.
0: So here's a let's wrap up with with this question. Um, sure. So Facebook is trying to move the entire world into video. Right. So they're like, yeah, you know, video is the new thing. And it's mainly because um, they feel like their ads are going to be more effective if they're if they're using video, so they're encouraging companies to use video. And, and then I think together with that, you know, we're seeing that, uh, you know, companies have to produce more videos, uh, and they are producing more videos. And then I've noticed too, that people are starting to communicate in videos and, um, you know, like there, there are programs where I think you can record like up to six minutes of video. And instead of sending an email, Instead of sending a chat, instead of sending a uh, audio recording or a voicemail, you can send a video of yourself sitting there telling somebody basically your email. And you know, personally, I'm not such a huge fan for the same reasons that you mentioned with telephone. It's like it's there's no uh, rec- you know written recording of it. But if the, if you use that with voice recognition, maybe that will be the thing. But uh, I'm just wondering what you think about video. Do you think that? at some point in time in localization, people are going to start communicating with video.
1: Again, I think every technology has its appropriate time, place, and application. Um, and I think video can be very powerful, especially, for example, in training, right? Uh, Word be, we have a huge library of training videos online that are incredibly helpful. And I go back to it all the time. I, couldn't, I, I could read through the material. I just wouldn't retain it as well. But when I watch the video and they're clicking on particular areas and they're demonstrating a particular feature or functionality, I just get it. And it becomes super easy for me to understand and use, right? Right. And in in those cases, great. Um, In terms of, you know, if you wanted to send me a a happy holidays uh, video with you and your family, that's kind of cool too. But in terms of just regular communications, personally, it's not my thing. But in terms of our industry and how important video is or how relevant it is, I think that Everybody in the industry probably needs to adapt or use some kind of tool that will help you deal with video. Whether that's whether that means um, that you're going to do some kind of get some kind of transcript um, if you're going to have subtitles. Uh, but you you probably if you are producing videos or it's, if videos are important to your work, then you're going to need some kind of tool that will allow you to to do that. You know the transcription and the subtitles
0: yeah yeah, that's uh, that's a super interesting side effect of uh, because it, you know it's true that the the Facebook policy is really pushing people towards video. And uh, I mean, it's like, yeah, okay. you put the video on your website or, you know, wherever you put it. And, you know, sometimes people say your conversion rates go up, but it's not like every site that converts well has a video. So I I think it's really coming from Facebook. And for localization, that's a super interesting challenge because, um, you know, not only do you have to ask yourself, like, okay, if we're going to have to produce all this, all these videos for, for Facebook or for whatever marketing Um, You have to ask yourself, not only, like, are we going to subtitle this, you know, or how are we going to, you know, localize it, but if you did subtitle it, would it be as effective, you know? Uh, now, maybe if you produced an English language video, it's like, okay, maybe. But for example, if it was a, a, a German language video being subtitled in Spanish, you know, would it, how effective would it be? So do you reshoot your video in Spanish um, or do you just remove the video altogether? And um, yeah, I would guess that right now people are just removing the videos altogether, you know, or maybe subtitling the video, but I, I, I bet a lot of companies just remove it right now. But you know, for how long is that going to, you know, remain a strategy? And at what point do people really need to get serious about multilingual videos? It will be interesting to see what happens, but videos are so expensive to, to produce, you know, like even a 30 second, uh, explainer video for your product can, can run, you know, six, seven, eight
1: thousand $8,000. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I agree with what you're saying. It's um, it, it, you know, it's like anything else. It's it's going to evolve, and you know, we might be surprised in a few years um, how how video is being used or how it's not being used, etc. But um, it, you know, it, it, it'll be it'll be fun. Maybe maybe someday uh, we'll have the option as a, as a viewer or as a user to say, hey, I, this is what I want. I want to see the transcript in my language, and maybe there'll be a a, a technology that will just provide that to me.
0: Yeah, you know what? That that seems like the the best way, you know, because with the booming of video content, uh, maybe it will just be more efficient to produce these transcripts, uh, even even empty it. But I think the holy grail would be to automatically align the subtitles. You know, to be able to produce a subtitle automatically and then align it with the voice. Uh,
1: YouTube has already done some 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 great work in that area. So if you go yeah. to YouTube. You know, you can um, select a uh, request, subtitles, and I, and I think at one point they actually did an, a slight integration with a couple different LSPs where, you know, if uh, subtitles were requested, they would go out and then mm-hmm. come back, be, become available, so...
0: Wow, Google uh, working with uh, another company, uh, I don't know, like, uh, they, no, no. they seem like such a closed box, that, you know, to hear that they worked with an LSP is kind of impressive.
1: Oh, well, um, I mean, they, I, I don't know if I can, yeah, they, they work closely with um, a variety of LSP's. Oh, really? Yeah, they, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. I didn't know so that. They, uh, yeah, yeah. Okay. Both, um, on the YouTube side and on the on the on the on the Google side itself, but um, yeah.
0: Cool. Well, if that's confidential, uh, I'll just remove it afterwards. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, I, I don't think it's uh, any any secret that they that they send work out for translation and do a variety of other work. Um, I don't think that's that's confidential. I, I'm yeah, not going to talk yeah, about yeah. what kind of work they do or who they're right. working with. I
0: don't know, I'm sure they, they must have to translate some stuff. Yeah. But uh, cool. Well, um, I think we should wrap up the podcast. It was super interesting. I think we've made some nice predictions. I think we've uh, you know covered how the technology has evolved. Um, maybe we didn't touch on LSPs as much as we wanted to, but we could always swing back and do another episode just about that. So yeah,
1: um, um- Robert, I really appreciate you uh, setting this up. Appreciate your time. Uh, I, I'm going to be at Locke World in uh, early November in, uh, in in Silicon Valley, and yep. uh, maybe we can touch base during or after that. And uh, you know, we can maybe do a podcast around what we see there and uh, what's the latest news and noise coming out of the industry at at the LocWorld.
0: Perfect. Yeah, that would be great. Uh, Maybe we can find some uh, people at World that want to join us as a guest on the podcast. Mark is actually our first guest on the podcast, and he also, uh, you know, just recently joined (laughs) WordBee. But we'd obviously like to have uh, anybody who's interested in uh, talking about localization or um, even, you know, adjacent topics uh, we'd love to have you on the podcast so if you're listening and you think wow you know i could be a guest on there and we could talk about uh, this or that thing whether it's uh, content management systems or you know digital asset management or uh, something specific about translation um, we'd love to have you on the show so all right cool well so uh, maybe we'll see you at World. anything else like uh, do you have like a i don't know twitter or linkedin that you'd like to promote or something or
1: uh, no, man. People can find me. If uh, if anybody wants to connect with me, I am on LinkedIn. I'm on Facebook, uh, all, the, all the usual suspected uh, social media sites. And uh, I, you know, if anybody would like to find out more information about WordBee, you can just go to our site and send an inquiry or connect with me on LinkedIn.
0: Cool. So that's Mark Schreiner, everybody. And uh, now it's a good time to go because it just started hailing on my roof. Okay, Robert. Enjoy that. <laughs> all right. Stay Thanks, care. Mark. Okay. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.